The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley. As we begin a Monday, Gary, good morning. Good morning. Interesting weekend. Yeah. Should we start out with some audio? Why not? Let's start out with some uh, audio. The president uh, over the uh, the weekend. I was a student up north in the civil rights movement. I remember feeling how guilty I was. I wasn't here. How could we all be up there? Uh, there's no evidence that Biden was ever involved in the civil rights movement as a student. Yeah. The one I love is when he said that uh, he was... Uh, uh, he uh, participated in uh, sit-ins. Mm. He claimed he walked out of a restaurant as a high school student because a black student wasn't welcome there. Mm. The former student contradicted that claim, saying Biden and other white students were oblivious to the situation. Mm. They weren't aware of what happened. Frank Hutchins told the Philadelphia Inquirer in 1987, I was only 16 then. It was my problem and my battle for me to work out. They were oblivious to it until later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, you know, again, and we can just add these to the long list of bizarre lies that Joe Biden has been telling and will be telling now, probably these for for years to come as well. And and the liberal media pointed it out early in his administration. Early, it was not long after inauguration. And they, it was the liberal media that, that had the story, the long list of bizarre lies that Joe Biden has been telling for years. We can add yeah. these bizarre lies to the list. Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest. I mean, that's been over, uh, I think, uh, I forgot who had the montage on it. I think it's over 20 times at least on, on, uh, on video mm-hmm. that they have him talking about how he was, uh, as a student, uh, that he participated in sit-ins and the civil rights movement did not happen. Nobody yeah. can find any evidence whatsoever. Right. And when somebody who was where he specifically claims he was, it's like, no, he wasn't there. No. Just, uh, but then again, I mean, it's as we know, this is 
we remember why he didn't run in the late 80s. Well, how many years did he serve in prison with Nelson Mandela? I mean, <laughs> I mean, just it's ridiculous. This is another audio over the uh, the, the weekend. Uh, Bill Maher with Bernie Sanders on. Mm-hmm. And, and Maher gets it. Here we go here. Here we go. And again, this is against white people sometimes, I think, question some of what you're saying. Uh, this is a survey, student loan forgiveness recipients. 73% of applicants say they are likely to spend their extra money on non-essential, including vacations, smartphone, drugs, and alcohol. They, they admitted that to the pollster. Who is this pollster? I, and we, <laughs> NBC News. Um, 52% they are very likely or likely to buy new clothing. 46% they would use the money for vacation and eat out at restaurants. This is why people have a thing about, I, I would never call it free money. Oh, I guess I just did. <laughs> hmm. Again, not the point, but it is, right. it is, it is part of the morality that people look at and say, uh, and that's because I think uh, over half said, "Well, we really don't need the money. You know, I don't have problems with my payments. I can." Yeah. But then, who doesn't have? Who who would answer that they don't have a problem with the payment? Yeah. No. Even if, if you have money, if you're, you're asking problem. if 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 the uh, entire premise of the question is if you're if you're asking a, the question basically, what are you going to do with the money if you get it? Well, then no one is going to say, well, I don't need that. I'm I'm fine. And, yeah, it's it, it does miss the point here uh, because it, it and but I think it's interesting that Bill Maher brings it up to Bernie Sanders. But beyond that, it misses the point, because the fact of the matter is, is that um, it isn't free money. And when we're ca- when we're talking about things like student loans. We're talking about transferring the debt to other people. Mm-hmm. Who didn't well, take out the loan. The, the question should be, how are you going to manage paying higher taxes? That should be the question of the pollster. When, if they were to get this through, how would you manage? Call the people that don't have and never had a student loan. What are you going to do when the taxes go up and, and the debt and, and hey, can we talk to your great-grandchildren? Are they there? We'd like to know how they're going to pay that off. Yeah, when, when you break it down, and we did it last Friday, we broke it down with some of the polling that still wasn't as specific as we would like it. Right. Because, you know, they're not asking, because they even called it loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It's not loan forgiveness. No, it's a transfer. It's a transfer of the debt. When you ask, when you when you still call it loan forgiveness, though, and and you say, uh, you know, would you be for it if you raised your taxes? The support way under fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Even Democrats, I think it dropped thirty points. Right. Yeah. I think Democrats were the only ones that were a little bit over fifty percent if it raised their taxes. Independents and Republicans, uh, not. But they. This is another case, and we've said this over and over again. They can't be honest in the presentation of it. Right. Because if they're honest in the presentation of it, they can't get support of the American people. But then again, this is what we talked a lot about last week. They depend on the ignorance, the economic ignorance and the government ignorance mm-hmm. of the of what they believe is half the country. Right. And when you see last week, as we brought up, you know, the 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 uh, attacks on the uh, 
you know, the, the Supreme Court that we've seen where, well, the polling on the Supreme Court, we don't trust the, we don't like what the Supreme Court is doing. And then you look at the polling where the majority of people, the majority of Americans, 56% cannot name the three branches of government, which means the majority of the country has no idea, the country that they live in, they have no idea how it operates. None. They have no idea of the Constitution. None. No. And, and why the government was structured the way that it was. They have no idea. If you don't know the three branches of government, you don't know the roles. No. You don't know why they exist. You don't understand separation of powers. The majority of Americans don't. And what we found interesting was like half of Americans don't like uh, don't like the way the Supreme Court is operating. It's like, yeah, but 56% don't even know why they exist. Right. So what's your you know what's your point if you don't know the basis of that then right. you really can't argue any point but there was a good uh, there was a, a good thing over the weekend a great uh, observation and i i missed it last week uh, a friend of mine richard had posted it and i didn't see it i think it was like from last let me see it was from march 1st and it was a article in uh, in cnbc a year after the first rate hike, the Fed still has a long way to go in the fight against inflation. And the key points, <laughs> this is the best, <laughs> talking about the Fed, they do not know more about inflation than the average consumer. That's important, said Quincy Crosby of LPL Financial. That may be the greatest <laughs> observation ever. The Fed doesn't have any clue. They don't know what they're doing. Well, you this, know, he, he said this is not to criticize them, but to understand they do not know more about inflation than the average consumer. That's important. It's just that it's their job to know. And that's where the criticism comes in. Well, here's the thing. I would argue that they don't know where it's going to go. And they can only look back retroactively. So, yeah, to that extent, they don't really know anything. Historically, you can apply what has happened to pretty much every major spike in inflation. And that is, again, their job. And they can, and they can choose to raise rates to the extent needed or not. And in this case, they didn't. And what were we told? Did the Fed early give, on? Did did the Fed give a warning that all this spending was going to create this type of inflation? Nope. Nope. Now, people like Lawrence Summers did. Oh yeah, but I'm talking specifically and, the Fed. And they and the Fed knows that it's going to do that, but they talk as if it doesn't. Janet Yellen saying for how long? Well, no, Fed. We don't. We don't believe it's going to be a problem. We don't. Listen, it, they're going. They're 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 acting as if, and and this is the thing about that. Powell, the Fed chairman, said, "Well, you know, we're we're just now learning about all of this." Yeah, I don't buy that. Yeah, they can't. They can't often uh, predict exactly how bad it's going to be. But they can look at the numbers and they can act accordingly, and they don't. They don't care to do that. There was some more um, uh, speculation over the weekend as to whether they might go another uh, 
two half points the next two moves. I don't expect them to do that. You had Powell. I think Powell was basically sa- uh, saying it when he said, uh, it was, uh, I don't know, a month or two ago, when he said, no, we expect inflation to be well above the target rate of 2% for quite some time, for a while. And I believe he said that because he knows they're not going to do anything about it. They're not going to raise it another half a point each time. And if they did, where would that get us? Right now, the target rate is somewhere between 45 and 4.75. It would barely get us to that six mark. If, if that, over two more raises. So everybody, the, the assessment is, if they don't at least get it above a target rate of 6%, then we're not going to get on top of inflation. Which means inflation is going to be well above that target rate of 2% for a while. Welcome to the 70s. All we need is some bell bottoms. <laughs> and and Joe Biden and the Civil Rights Movement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if we can go back to the 70s, we appear to do so. We appear to be being, uh, being close to doing so with inflation. Then maybe we can go back and look to see what... What Joe Biden is doing, maybe we can go back to the uh, 60s and 70s and see uh, all of the things that he was involved in and not involved in. You know, why, by, by the way, why would you tell such lies? Lies that have been, he's repeating lies for years that have already been fact-checked multiple times. Because the uh, the press, the mainstream media won't call him out on it, and he understands that of America is completely ignorant. Well, there's that. That's who you're speaking to. Or or the media has just given up like Glenn Kessler at the Washington Post. (laughs) Bottomless Pinocchios. Biden just gets bottomless Pinocchios. It's just whatever he's saying, give him a bowl of Pinocchios. And keep the bowl of Pinocchios coming. Could you imagine if a Republican with the friendship's that Biden had, especially early on his career, mm-hmm. with separatist Democrats, and the things that Biden has said over the years, yeah. And, and could you imagine if a Republican had as many times as he has done said that he was a part of the civil rights movement? Right with no evidence to back it up and in the sit-ins as a high school uh, as a high school student the student that he claimed that he was sitting in for said Biden was never there right could you imagine if a republican was claiming that they were part of the civil rights movement and there was no evidence that they were no i mean it would be uh all over again, it would be the number one story, the story, to the extent that the administration, whatever Republican administration was, would have to come out and make an apology and quite possibly do a primetime address to the nation. 86690 Red Eye. It's not always easy to spring back from the harsh days of winter to warmer months ahead. From de-icing chemicals to hidden debris underneath snow and ice, winter conditions can do serious damage to your truck. Here's a must-do maintenance check to help you minimize downtime and stay rolling. Make sure your fluids are at proper levels ahead of spring. Fluid is to trucks what blood is to the human body. 
Low fluid can be just as harmful as no fluid, and the damage this will cause to your truck is unavoidable. Pay attention to your engine oil, coolant levels, power steering fluid, transmission fluid, brake fluid, and differential fluid. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye, and just going over some of the uh, the uh, the audio from the Sunday morning news shows. Mm. Ready for this? All right. Uh, Illinois Governor Pritzker, all right, on uh, Face the Nation, mm-hmm. on uh, the, uh, the uh, New York Times uh, calling Pritzker the Democrats' SOS candidate. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. New York Times is a big feature on you, calling you the Democrats' SOS candidate, saying you're keeping your options open for a presidential run in 2024 in case Biden doesn't run. Is that true? No, I'm supporting Joe Biden. He's running for re-election, and he's going to get re-elected. I'm just, you know, happy that uh, people think of me in that way. That's certainly very flattering. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I don't know anybody talking about Prisker as a viable candidate to go out up against. I don't think any of the if if you if you were t- going to take any of the the big three uh, blue states, yeah, uh, Hochul, yeah. <laughs> Newsom, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or uh, or Pritzker, it would be Newsom, and even he has a battle because uh, it would be all right. Do you wish I can see the Republicans? Do you wish to be like California? Mm-hmm. Do you wish to be like Illinois? So. Uh, here's the other thing that he had to uh, uh, say. Here we go. So do you think he needs to make it official and say he's running so that there isn't more speculation or people considering other options? I don't think there's anybody that's serious that's actually considering running against Joe Biden because he's done such a great job. What do you think Democrats think about that when the majority of Democrats don't want him to run? Because that's an example where this this goes back again to the unique situation where we are in this country right now. Uh, Prisker lied. Everybody knows he lied. <laughs> she knowed on face. She knew on face the nation <laughs> that he lied. Everybody watching knew that he lied. He knows that everybody watching and hearing about this knows that he's lying, and nobody will call him on it. Well, no, I mean, look, if you can get away with saying, I remember as a student being a part of the civil rights movement, then you <laughs> can say anything and, and just and look, the economy is fine. There are no problems with the economy. Uh, a, uh, a two periods of negative growth is not a recession anymore. Uh, you don't have to tell the truth. You just keep repeating the lies and and know that people like the fact checker at the Washington Post, Glenn Kessler, is just going to give up. And then there's Joe Manchin on Face the Nation uh, about yeah. Biden. All right, here we, here we go. Are you going to endorse Joe Biden if he runs for re-election? <laughs> oh, there's plenty of time for the election. This is the problem with America right now. We start an election every time there's a cycle coming Yeah, he's up. the leader of your party. Uh, I, uh, I, I, no, the bottom line is let's see who's involved. 
Let's wait until we see who all the players are. Let's just wait until it all comes out. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just not have me answer the question right now. Let's just wait until uh, this uh, uh, segment is over. Let's let's just uh, I got to go. And you know they're dev- desperate because we'll play some later on. But Marianne Williamson <laughs> on the Sunday morning news shows. Yeah, it's like, come on. <laughs> well, it's I just saw Joe Manchin's name in a couple of articles over the weekend. I thought, yawn. Who really <laughs> cares? <laughs> And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Consider yourself canceled if you don't listen nightly. Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Hardy, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90 of Red Eye. And it's just, I mean, it was a pretty, it's pretty entertaining on the, the Sunday morning news shows. We have uh, ABC's Donna Brazil going, uh, well, uh, <laughs> angry at uh, Joe Biden mm. uh, for uh, his decision not to veto the uh, congressional override of D.C.'s, uh, you know, reduce the penalties on crime law. I'm going to say something about home rule. Huge mistake. Huge mistake by the president. Mistake? Absolutely. Let me tell you. By the way, that's George Stephanopoulos. Yeah. Mistake? Okay, here we go. Tell you why. I, I, I sat down because Chris Christie told me about this a couple of months ago. The D.C. Code is old. It was written in 1901. There, in, in some areas, there are no penalties for sexual assault. There's only three months w- when you beat up a police officer. So while I understand that some Republicans want to show their tough on crime by beating up on the District of Columbia, we deserve statehood. We deserve to, to, to get it right. And this was a process that took 16 years. It was evaluated by criminal justice experts. It was evaluated by the D.C. Council and the D.C. residents. And all of a sudden... 
Marjorie Taylor Greene and a few others have decided that this is the issue where they want to pick on the District of Columbia. There's a reason why he didn't open his mouth and say something in the House caucus. And that is because my congresswoman, and yes, she's a little bit in her 80s too, she would have stood up and said, hell no. This is about state rule. It's about the D.C. Council. The mayor vetoed it. Let the mayor and the council work this out. The president should not be engaged in D.C. affairs. But could he afford to have the crime issue front and center all through the 2024? It should be front and center because you know what? We have a crime wave. She wants it both ways. You can't have it both ways. I'm sorry. That was was so much double talk. Seriously. Was she on with her identical twin? What was that? (laughs) (laughs) Time for Brazil and Brazil. Uh, but the, the left just furious, absolutely livid. And, and look, they're not a state. No. And Congress has authority over DC. Yep. And you can talk about home rule all you want. Mm. That's not the law. No. And it's not a part of the constitution at the moment. Right. And, um, you know, and that's just the reality of the way that it, it that it is. And, uh, you know, Biden can't afford because people believe that because of uh, his response to the 2020 riots. Mm-hmm. Where he didn't mention it at all, just wouldn't mention it. Right. The DNC, remember? Mm-hmm. Democratic National mm-hmm. Convention? Mm-hmm. They didn't mention it. No. So if it didn't, didn't even exist. Right. And, uh, again, he always claims, I was never for defunding the police, just reallocating the resources. Right. Well, that didn't hold water, and he realizes how weak his party and he is on crime, and so that's why he decided to do it. And the Democrats that want the liberal insanity of what we see, oh, by the way, we'll talk about the homeless situation you see now that you have liberal mayors now going, well, maybe the solution to homelessness isn't just to allow people on the streets and uh, give them food and drugs and money in order to stay on the streets. Right. Maybe that's the wrong way. Right. Well, maybe it's the wrong way to say no bail. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the wrong way to say we're not going to prosecute violent crime. Maybe it's the wrong way to sit there and lie to the American public and tell them the majority of people in the prisons are there for low-level drug offenses. Maybe those lies should stop. Yeah, uh, and you saw that the police chief in New York City saying businesses need to enforce a, when when people come into their businesses, no-mask policy. We're having trouble identifying the people coming in and committing crimes because they're all wearing masks. You need to force them to take the mask off at the door before they come into your business. (laughs) This is how stupid it's getting. And I get it. We know. But it was always going to happen this way. And my question is, why are you just now saying that? That's been going on since... The beginning of COVID. Yeah. Well, remember when? Remember when banks? What was it? You couldn't come in with hats, and there were some banks that wouldn't allow you to come in with hats and sunglasses. Right. Yeah. You had to remove them. Well, you know, I made the joke um, early on with COVID. You know, I'm going to get a T-shirt that says, uh, you know, because everybody was wearing masks back then. 
don't worry. Um, I'm, 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 I don't have COVID. I'm only here to rob you. <laughs> you know, because, yeah, you know, yeah, the greater yeah. fear was COVID. Uh, it, it's, but it was inevitable that it was going to go this way. I mean, someone walks in with a mask. I was at a restaurant and I saw a couple of people wearing masks uh, at another restaurant. Every server behind the counter, every one of them, it must have been policy, clearly. They were all wearing masks. You know, you created a, a, a scenario, I, with all due respect to the the uh, law enforcement officers that have to investigate these crimes, I I can't tell you what the, you know, what that's going to be, because I think people are going to be wearing masks, uh, you know, to a certain extent, probably for the rest of our lives. And how dare you tell them to take them off? I mean, that's just the way, that's what we created. And now they're walking in and you can't identify them. You know, they're, they've got everything on camera. And you can't identify them. So you're wearing a jacket or a ball cap or a hoodie or whatever. They come in, they've got the mask on, and then boom. He also, uh, Adams, over the weekend, I was reading the article in the New York Post saying Lori Lightfoot's loss in Chicago is a warning for the rest of the uh, uh, the uh, the country. I think it's a warning sign for the country. Mm. Uh, and um, and he's talking about crime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As and I love this here uh, for the rest of the nation. As he defended his focus on fighting crime in the Big Apple, so far you haven't succeeded. No. No, I mean, it's the same in all the major blue cities. I mean, I do find it kind of interesting that with the crime rate in Chicago, that, and and everybody points to crime in, in terms of her losing. I'm not, I, look, it maybe there's a poll with voters, an exit poll or something, I, I don't know, that shows that that is the case. But if it is the case, that's pretty interesting that she's the one. How long has crime been a major problem in Chicago? Gang shootings go back for the ages. I mean, in modern times, I can't remember when we didn't have that situation in Chicago. And she becomes the one. There may be other reasons why they didn't vote for her. But at the end of it, this is going to be this is going to be the case. Even when you elect a mayor like Adams, a former cop, what is he going to do? He hasn't done anything yet. It is interesting because there was an article in the New York Post: crime in New York City. Uh, still up 47.5% uh, since mm. bail reform, mm-hmm. despite cops' claims otherwise. Yeah, right. The New York City police issued a press release last week announcing a 0.4% reduction in index crimes, murder, rape, uh, robbery, burglary, felony assault, grand larceny, and car theft for the year uh, today, 2023, versus the same period in 2022. That's good news as far as it goes if you're satisfied with the 47.5% increase in the same index since the same period in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
I mean, you know, it's it's like we said with Portland and and all of them. He's a former uh, district attorney in, in uh, Queens. Mm. So, you know, it's the crime is going to to be there until there is a massive shift politically, which is not going to happen in our lifetime. I'm convinced. You know, the next mayor of Chicago is not going to be a conservative. And he writes here, he said, the grim reality is that progressive legislators have decided that the, and this is, we should say Democrats, the grim reality is that Democrats have decided that the increased crime on our streets is an acceptable cost of their criminal justice reforms. Absolutely, Because everybody knew what was going to happen, but they cannot and will not admit it to the public. No. But it's obvious. Well, no. Otherwise, why would you do it? uh, Otherwise, they would be doing something about it. Instead, they'll deny that the crime increases that coincided with reform uh, are the result of reform, and they demand even more data, denying that the tens of thousands of additional uh, victims, mostly black and brown victims, every year since the reform, they will challenge you that that proves anything. Hmm. The commissioner and mayor would do well to keep uh, comparing today's crime numbers with the pre-reform 2019 numbers rather than seeking quick and, and favorable but misleading press headlines. Otherwise, they will not. They will lose not just a debate, but also any realistic chance of undoing the damage caused by these uh, reforms. Mm-hmm. And you see the one, uh, the one uh, been a lot in the news. The uh, the the black DA out of Albany. Mm. That's yeah. just furious. Yeah, and he's saying this is a load of you know basically you know it's BS. Mm-hmm. Everything that the state legislature and the progressives are doing and nobody is talking about the thousands upon thousands of victims that are black as this da jim quinn wrote former da mostly black and brown victims are the victims of the crime right but that's acceptable they don't care in order to in order to favor the criminal element yep they don't care nope it's really amazing when you think about it. You no, know, I mean, a, uh, it, it's, but it, but it's, it but, honestly is them saying it's the right. equivalent of them standing at a podium saying, this is the price you're going to have to pay. Well, we've said it for years about sanctuary cities. You and I have said it. Mm-hmm. They favor the freedom of the illegal immigrant criminal yep. over the innocent and law-abiding citizen of the United States. Right. And they've made it clear. Right. I mean, there is no other. There is no other way you can connect the dots. No, they they proactively created that policy and were championed for it. They were cheered on. Yep. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens. And that's the other thing about Pritzker too. Oh yeah, you're the guy on the sidelines that all the Democrats want to run. Mm-hmm. Really. <laughs> Illinois? Are you Chicago? kidding me? Really? Yeah, that, yeah. This is what's... Uh, yeah. uh, I, I don't hear this. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> like, what's funny is... Is the New York Times just making stuff up as they go along right. to try to prop up anybody right. but Biden? Yeah, because Newsom's like, no, 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 I'm not running. Yeah. I, you know, no, 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 no. Biden's the guy. And, and by the way, this also proves that the talking points are there. No, 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 Biden's the guy. He's And he's going to win. Yeah, that is the talking point. He's the greatest. He's one of the greatest presidents yeah. ever. Yeah. But again, it's where you talk. It's That's the mind-boggling thing. Yeah. yeah. The person saying that knows they're lying. He knows everybody listening knows 
that they're lying. Everybody listening knows that he's lying. He knows that everybody listening or watching knows that he's lying. And it's like, nobody will admit it. Yeah. We it's, can't admit it. Nope. Nope. You just you just stay the line. You, you choose the lie and go with it. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. This is going to get interesting with uh, Fauci, uh, reading here from uh, the New York Post, Miranda Devine, uh, talking about new emails that show Fauci commissioned a scientific paper in February of 2020 mm. to disprove, uh, disprove the Wuhan lab leak theory. Right. 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 Well, the fact is he commissioned it, and then it was done, and then he claimed it was independent. Right. And that he really didn't, you know... There's all these. I don't know the authors here, and I, but uh, we'll get all this information. But mm-hmm. uh, basically, try to imply that it was an independent paper done right. that he didn't know about, and he was using it as evidence to disprove the Wuhan lab leak theory. We'll get to the, some of the specifics uh, uh, of it, and more on uh, Joe and Hunter. Mm. You saw that that in yeah. 2014 on Burisma, Hunter yeah. Biden was advising. Yeah, the uh, the uh, the you know Biden's uh, office. Mm. He was vice president at the time, right? About how they should respond. Can't do that. Nope. Can't do that. Nope. You have to register as a foreign agent if you're doing that. Yep. And and so just drip, 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 drip. Well, drip. you know, I love the fact that uh, you know Republicans have only been in 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 just a few months, but but things seem to be coming out in a fairly steady way. And at least we're having hearings. At least we're they're asking all the right questions and making all the right points so far. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, 86690-RED-EYE. He is Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. And you can listen when and where you choose if you can't listen live over a night, uh, a couple of deaths over the weekend. Yeah, uh, uh, the actor Tom Sizemore. Yeah, uh, uh, that was heartbreaking. Uh, he had a brain aneurysm going back uh, what two or three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and then it came across uh, during uh, the week last week that really there was no hope uh, for him surviving that, and so. Uh, you know, basically the family made arrangements 
And over the weekend, we learned that he passed away. And the last founding member of Leonard Skinner. Yeah, Gary Rossington. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with, uh, with, with uh, Sizemore, what I'll always I'll, I'll remember a couple of things. And you and I talked about this before. What a great actor before his life spiraled out of control mm-hmm. with, uh, with uh, you know, drugs and alcohol. And it really, I mean, you, you talk about somebody who went down and went down fast. He did. Yeah, he but, wrote a book about it. It was, yeah. you know, and it was, it was crazy. I mean, it, it just seemed like it was one thing after the other and then he couldn't it was he was jumping to stronger and stronger uh addictions and then said that that really the one that really grabbed him was methamphetamine crystal meth and you know he he had huge 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 box office hits that he was a part of and and likely without that addiction or those addictions, he probably could have gone on and and you know become even bigger than he was as an actor. You know, he was he was a great character actor. Yeah, I and mean, uh, you you and I talked about it. Enemy of the state, where he mm-hmm. was the mobster. Mm-hmm. When he said to Will Smith, "If you don't give me that tape in a week, I'll kill you." Mm-hmm. I went, whoa. Mm-hmm. I mean, you believed he was a mobster yeah. who would kill you. And then you take that character and you put it in saving, you know, not that character, that actor. And mm-hmm. he's in saving private Ryan. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the utmost of immorality, we're mm-hmm. just bluntly, I'll kill you. Mm-hmm. To uh, him advising Tom Hanks, you know, when Hanks didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, with Private Ryan, who didn't want to go back, and remember he says, yeah, he said, uh, yeah, I want to know what you think, and he goes, no, you really don't want to know what I think, and just that moment between those two, where he was the one that was really defending Tom Hanks. Remember when they found the German soldier mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. some of the, you know, some of the soldiers uh, in his platoon wanted to kill him, mm-hmm. and he said no, and he backed him. Yeah, you know, it was like so right. from from somebody who was absolutely not law and order to somebody in that character mm-hmm. that was, you know, <laughs> we're following the chain of command here. You know, this is how it runs. I just always thought those two roles really showed the acting range that that he had. Yeah, and uh, it was just so sad. I remember how horrible he looked when he was on because uh, he he was on. Uh, with somebody I know on uh, on on uh, what was it uh, celebrity rehab and I think sober house mm-hmm. and he looked you know he was yeah he was yeah. he was in bad yeah. shape and it's yeah. just such a shame uh, Dana Delaney the actress wrote about him. I guess she was in what was it China I can't remember the movie she was in with him mm. uh, but she wrote about you know how, and pictures of them in the movie she said I choose to remember him as this person yeah you know yeah. this person here but right. uh, yeah. And uh, Gary Rossington, the uh, uh, last original member of Leonard mm-hmm. Skinnerd, mm-hmm. and yeah, I was a founding member of the band. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, had a you know he had this just very consistent, smooth uh, mm-hmm. what the what the bandmates called very sweet style of playing, and um, you know, I mean, it's just he created so many 
and wrote so many riffs, you know, guitar it was, riffs. It was funny because when I I woke up and saw that, and mm-hmm. I just went, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, let me let me find you know let me find it on my phone, and mm-hmm. so listen to Skinner all the way in, yeah, and I was and Tuesday's Gone came on, and I never figured out who played that lazy slow guitar mm-hmm. that is, and I, lazy is not an insult. I mean, right. it just comes across as, you know, just mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. you know, very relaxed kind mm-hmm. of, but it comes in there. And I don't know whether that was Alan Collins or, uh, or Rossington at that point. I don't know if Ed King played on that album. I don't know at that, yeah, I don't that, recall that, that point. But mm. the thing that about Skinner is when I was young and Skinner came out, I, I still remember the first time and I know it's been overplayed like crazy to the point where it's become, you know, a band says, you, Anybody want to hear anything? And you're going to hear Freebird, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But the first time, I can remember my buddy Jeff picking me up. I remember he called me and said, there's a song you got to hear. And he picked yeah. me up, and we yeah. were in, I think I would have been, that would have been in the fall of 73, mm. maybe or 74, I, mm. early 74. Whenever that album came out, he just picked me up, and he said, okay, listen to this. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time hearing Freebird. Oh my God! You didn't hear anything like that. It was completely yeah, right. And and I emphasize that to people when they go, "Oh, it's just Southern rock." I go, "When it first came out, when you heard Free Bird the first time." But for me, what and and the other thing that always freaked me out is that Ed King, their guitarist, that came aboard uh, probably seventy three, maybe um, after Ricky Medlock yeah. left, he came in. Yeah, and he he Ed Kid came in. And in fact, I think Medlock was on drums at that point i don't know if he switched guitar at the last minute before he left but he played guitar most people know him for playing guitar yeah. but he played drums early on uh not a founding member but an early member they they all grew up well, together. did, did he replace did he replace bob burns then before I, artemis pile yeah or is, i'd have to I'd, or, I'd or have as to i call him charles charles manson if you ever seen artemis pile he always reminded me of charles manson mm, yeah <laughs> uh but what always freaked me out is that you know Ed King knew Leonard Skinner when he was in Strawberry Alarm Clock, mm-hmm. Incense and Peppermints. Yeah. And you just think of Incense, Peppermints, and then you realize that same guy that was playing guitar on that song came up with the Sweet Home Alabama rift at the beginning. Yeah. That's, I just, I've always, a couple of things of Skinner always blew me away. That was one. The other one uh, was Billy Powell, the keyboardist. Mm. Mm-hmm. Who they didn't hire as a musician. He was a roadie. Mm-hmm. And, Ronnie Van Zandt found out he was a classical pianist. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> You're classical. And here he is, a roadie. Right. And so he became right. a member of the band. So it wasn't it wasn't all planned. And the other thing about Skinner is I always, when I was young in college, I liked the fast stuff. You know, mm-hmm. when they, you know, when, whether, uh, you know, Free Bird or J.J. Uh, Kale's Call Me the Breeze when they did mm-hmm. that. I mean, it was e- even uh, on Street Survivors, you know, like That Smell, whatever. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And what I found out, and there would be slower songs, I didn't pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. That's some of my favorite stuff. A few years ago, I was listening to some of the slow stuff and stuff yeah. like um, Georgia Peaches and Sweet Little uh, uh, Missy and Ain't Lo- No Life. And the only way I can call it, I mean, there it's almost like it's Florida Swamp Honky Tonk. I don't know how else to mm-hmm. describe it, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's some of the most incredible uh, music and then the ballads, you know, like a Tuesday's Gone, whatever. I listened to that mm-hmm. on the way in. I went, God, what a great song! And I never appreciated the slow stuff or the stuff that was really offbeat. That I really think was the real Skinner. 
Yeah, I really, I one of that, my all-time favorite songs is "Simple Man." Oh and, yeah, I still listen. That came know, on too. Yep. That, yep. Those all of their their slow stuff really was quintessential Southern. It had a growing up in the South. It had a feel like a hot summer day. Yes, when yes. You just that's, you're sitting on the porch. That's why I say swamp. You know, and the breeze, <laughs> you know, is and it really just had that yeah. feel to it. They captured. A an emotion that was unique, and you know they were able to uh, convey that uh, musically in in a way that that really nobody was. You know the the thing about Ricky Medlock, uh, he went on to form Blackfoot, Black and Hulk, yeah. and when with Black Blackfoot, Hulk, yes. he the album Strikes, man, I knew that frontward and 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 back, and I I just it was I listened to it, I I probably wore holes in the vinyl. At some point, and uh, "Highway Song" is one Highway of those song, yeah. that is reminiscent of "Freebird." Yes, it is. It, yeah. It's it's one of those that just it's a long song. Uh, it goes on to to basically get to this crescendo and very very long guitar <laughs> solos that, in a live setting, uh, were pretty incredible. A friend of mine. Uh, Tim Stunson played in the later years of Ricky Medlock's Blackfoot. He, at that point, was Blackfoot uh, in the 90s and, and had a an album called After the Rain. And, and Tim played bass on that album and toured with him. And it was a, you know, it, it was a, a thing where they could go and they could do live shows. They could play over and over and over and over again. And the energy was the same, uh, and 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 I think you know that's it, it. It came from that influence, and Ricky talked about it because they grew up together. I mean, they they were all friends at a very young age. They knew they knew each other, and it was just going to kind of always be that. And being in a in a few bands, garage bands, uh, amateur bands, myself, uh, knowing that that's kind of how it works. You know, the guys, you know, you just kind of form a band, right? Um, now, and and in later years, and in larger areas, larger cities and everything, you're always advertising, well, we need a bass player, we need a drummer or whatever. But back then, it was really about, especially in a small town, you were hanging out with, with friends and you just kind of came together as a band. Uh, that happened from my earliest years, uh, 10 or 11 years old, uh, up until the last band that I was in, I mean, we just you just became friends with people, and then you were really just at that point mm-hmm. always hanging out with musicians, and and it lent itself to that writing style, and 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 so I always kind of saw Blackfoot almost as an extension or like a cousin band of Leonard Skinner. I mean, it was part of that Southern rock stuff that. Uh, in the in the seventies was was really huge. Well, I mean, it's it's like uh, when you when you think about the Outlaws, Greengrass, and High Tides, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know high, Highway Song, and mm-hmm. it's funny because I always wanted to throw Molly Hatchet in there, but when I found out Molly Hatchet never thought of themselves as a Southern rock band, mm-hmm. they thought of themselves more as heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> but but still the 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 law, you know the that that kind of anthem that they had, you know, guitar anthem. But mm-hmm. what I found out is Skinner was more than the guitar army. 
because that's what they yeah, were portrayed. Right, right. So you would just think, you know, Skinner. I remember seeing the one time I saw Skinner was the year before mm-hmm. uh, the crash, like a uh, year before, like in 76. I saw them and I saw them in an auditorium and Freebird made no sense because you just couldn't process in the big, the, the acoustics were terrible. Mm-hmm. So it was like, eh, it was just made no sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, but when I hear, when I hear their stuff, and one of the things I thought was interesting was Al Cooper, who did, uh, what is it, their first album? I can't think of the name of it. Um, uh, pronounced Leonard Skinner. Uh, when when he when they, they did that, and he talked about their process. And, you know, you hear the extended version that they play a free bird that's like seven, 16 minutes long or something. Mm. He said that was a very rare thing, that every single song that they did was exactly in concert the way it was on the album. Mm-hmm. And Ronnie Van Zandt, that's the only thing he said. It wasn't like they went off and all. He said people got that impression because of Free Bird, and that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. That it was exactly that he wanted it exactly done the way that it was on the record. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you wouldn't have known that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have. So, but uh, yeah, uh, it was sad to hear that. Yeah. Now, yeah, are they still going to tour with Johnny Van Zandt? I mean, there's. Uh, they actually had been uh, at some point in the last few years in COVID just kind of, you know, right. made everything dissolve, uh, had been doing what they were calling their final tour. Uh, there are a number of bands now that, that really are hanging it up. Uh, Kiss, Ozzy had to come off the road because of his health problems. Uh, Foreigner uh, has, you know, with their replacement lead singer, the guy who came in after Lou Graham, who's been with him for almost 20 years, by the way. <laughs> They're done uh, after this year. Uh, bands like White Snake, David Coverdale, is 71 now, and he'd been oh. saying for a while, he said, I, when I hit 70, that's I, there's, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be on the road for that long. And and you you think of it, you know, bands like Foreigner, we're, we're still touring with, with Journey and still touring with a, a lot of the uh, – 70s and 80s bands and they could you can do as long as you want to there's going to be a demand for that uh but the problem is is that you can't get out there and perform those songs eventually that's going to wear you down and they tour uh eight or nine months out of the year in order to you know make that living so they have to kind of make that call at some point uh and uh medlock was with them in the last several years yep uh, on guitar yeah. and can't can't forget that after Ed King left and Steve Gaines mm-hmm. became the guitarist and yeah. he was he was really a great guitarist oh, yeah. and yeah, yeah. he was one of them killed in the plane crash I mm-hmm. think uh, Street Sur- he was on Street Survivors which was re- really uh, re you know reinvigorated them that album yeah. when that came out yeah. that was a great album mm-hmm. and then he was killed in the plane crash with mm-hmm. Ronnie Van Zant so yeah yeah sad to hear yeah sad to hear eight six six ninety Red Eye. Surviving and thriving as an owner-operator has just as much to do with managing costs as it does with generating revenue. Understanding basic principles of operating costs can save you thousands of dollars a year. Costs are not the same each month. If 9,600 miles are driven one month and 10,000 miles the next, two different sets of costs apply for each month. For example, if your tractor payment is $1,850 per month and you drive 9,600 miles in the month, your tractor payment is costing you 19.3 cents per mile. 
drive 10,000 miles, though, and that same payment will cost you 18.5 cents per mile. This is one of your major fixed costs while paying off a truck loan. The difference in this example is only a fraction of a cent, which may seem like small change, but it ultimately amounts to $960 more annually on the bottom line. Because though fixed costs do not go down over time, you can reduce your cost per mile with more paid miles. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll have that Fauci story coming up here about yeah. uh, the, the whole thing that uh, Fauci commissioned mm. uh, a, uh, a report in February of 2020 that uh, uh, was meant to uh, knock down the lab leak theory. Yeah. And when he presented it, uh, he basically implied that he knew nothing about it and didn't know the authors and... Hmm. He created it. He commissioned it. We'll get to that. But I just saw this one here, and we have to hit this, especially after we played Governor Pritzker of uh, Illinois saying that he's not going to run because Biden's doing such a great job. I just happened to see this just before we went on the air. Fox just put this out at 1233 Eastern Time. Democrats looking beyond Biden could urge past superstars like Hillary and Al Gore to run in 2024. Okay. Like, I'm really not reading this, Sam. I mean, this this really doesn't exist. According to the recent Politico article, Biden faces doubt from high-level Democrats. They're saying one thing in front of the cameras, uh-huh. and it's a different story behind the scenes. Right. Well, of course it is. <laughs> and so we'll get to the story coming up. <laughs> And he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. So there it is. Democrats looking beyond Biden could urge past superstars like Hillary Clinton, Al Gore, for 2024 uh, uh, ticket. Majority of Democratic primary voters want someone other than Biden as her party's nominee in 2024. Democratic leaders are publicly rallying behind Joe Biden to be their guy. We've, you know, we've, uh, we've played... Um, you know, Corrine Jean-Pierre talking about, you know, what a great presidency he has uh, had. Um, 
Nancy Pelosi has said that a number of, uh, of, of times. We played Governor Pritzker when asked would, whether the New York Times article that he is the SOS candidate. And he says no, because Biden's doing such an incredible job. And it was just so funny because just last hour we were saying everybody knows they're lying. They know they're lying. They know that everybody knows they're lying, but nobody will call them on it. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they are. A recent political article uh, Biden faces doubt from some high-level Democrats who may only support the president because they fear what a Biden-less ticket would look like. High-level Democrats are rallying to President Biden's re-election, not because they think it's in the best interest of the country to have an 82-year-old start a second term, but because they fear the potential alternative, the nomination of Kamala Harris and election of Donald Trump, which mm-hmm. means... They're racist and sexist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. They don't want Kamala Harris. They're racist and sexist. What's going on? Well, no. I mean, look, it's if if he's not going to run, she naturally is the default, right? Mm-hmm. So not only are you not considering her, you're essentially shoving her aside. Yes. Stop this racism. And sexism in the Democratic Party. Right. For those asking anyone besides her, how dare you? Yeah. Do we have to do all the Democrats work for them? Yes. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> um, uh, they talk about Biden, uh, you know, uh, winning in 2020, but just three years later, Biden has an approval rating in the 40s. It's low. <laughs> and numerous verbal slip-ups have caused headaches for the White House press team. According to the Politico report, a senator at the National Governors Association meeting in February went as far as to question whether Biden had the stamina for the presidential campaign. Uh, Biden won the uh, the initial election during the travel-restricted COVID pandemic and spent much of his time campaigning from his basement. <laughs> at the same time uh the national governors association winter meeting meeting a congressman said harris wasn't an option politico reported former white house and pentagon official douglas mckinnon said if not biden or harris democrats could look past to a past superstar uh to create a more viable ticket former first lady michelle obama's name was floated ahead of the last Democratic presidential primary, although she has repeatedly denied any interest in seeking office. No, they're enjoying their millions. Mm-hmm. Uh, at 59, and with her it factor, she could emerge a top candidate, and Democrats could look to push her to run. So they're still talking about Michelle Obama. Uh-huh. Other candidates could include those who previously won the Democratic presidential nomination, potentially a resurgence of Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, uh-huh. or Al Gore. <laughs> the hypothetical candidates, however, failed to address the concerns of some voters who want a younger president as Clinton is 75, Kerry is 79, and Gore is 74. Yeah, right. Uh, Democrats could also look to pass candidates that generated public support but ultimately fell is uh, short of securing the nomination, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Amy Klobuchar, and Cory Booker. They're now talking about. 
Warren is 73. Sanders is 81. Klobuchar is 62. Booker is 53. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg also ran, but joined in 2020, but joined the Biden administration and has continued to grow his political resume over the last three years. He is 41. Beto O'Rourke is 50. They don't, they don't have a lot about Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke, who recently lost a statewide race in Texas, is 50. <laughs> and then they move right on. <laughs> Gavin Newsom, 55. Gretchen Whitmer, 51. Also could look to make moves from their respective state offices to the uh, the White House. Any of these candidates, McKinnon notes, would have to trek strategically to explain why Democrats moved from Biden or Harris. Well, no, I mean, it's what we have been saying all along. Listen, the reason that they can't let this happen is because it would be the implosion of the party. They would be admitting that it was so horrible. Not only can we not go on with Biden, that we can't have her either. We have to do a complete wash. But you can't do that. Are the chances of a superstar from the past becoming the 2024 20, uh, nominee a pipe dream? Most likely, but with the river of political denial threatening to wash away the Democrats' chances of 2024, <laughs> what else is the party to do, asked McKinnon. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, look, in the Senate, things are set up for uh, the GOP a very decent chance that the GOP could take the Senate next year. So my question, uh, you know, uh, here's a theory. Are the Democrats just looking at it and saying, Listen, you root him on. If he wins, he wins. And then we go from there. We take it day by day. But if he doesn't win, then we use and the GOP wins the White House and they do win the Senate and they keep the House. Then we create the big monster again. You know, the new who, whoever it's going to be, if it's Trump or if it's DeSantis, either one, they're going to be the next Hitler or Make Trump Hitler again will be the new slogan for <laughs> the, Dem- the Democrats. They'll put that on a ball cap and a blue one, and 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 then they can in- regroup in twenty eight and see and say, see, see what happened. Because here's the reality: the reality is is that we have a very good setting economically for a recession, and if inflation isn't going to be tamed, if it's not going to be a deep recession. And it's going to be a rather mild recession and inflation isn't going to be tamed. Then that's going to spell very bad things for the economy. And then they can just point at Republicans saying, see, when they took over, the the economy was horrible and it's still horrible. And, well, the fact of the matter is, is that there is nowhere for them to go politically. You can't do that to the party. You've got to cheer him on and you've got to hope. For the best. And I don't even know if the best includes him winning. Uh, I, I I do think it's interesting, though, that um, it, it this weekend, at least, it seems as if some of the Democratic Party are attempting to promote DeSantis, not as a Hitler, mm-hmm. but Mussolini. <laughs> yeah, I've been noticing that, that yeah. Mussolini's yeah. name has come up more yeah. than ever. Right. What's yeah. Uh, yeah. Fake presidential historian uh, right. Michael Beschloss was on MSNBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Mussolini, Mussolini, he's a fascist, Mussolini. I go, they trying to move to something else? Have the Democrats become 
bored with, with falsely comparing Republicans to Hitler. So right. now yeah. they're trying to move on to something else. And yeah. now you're going to have to educate the people, though, as to who Mussolini who Mus- is. I was going to say, who's Mussolini? Right. They, you can't If they don't know the three branches of government, <laughs> you, you expect them to know Mussolini? Go back to Hitler. Satan. I, well, anything. I mean, or, or I mean, you, you can do a Dick Durbin, Paul Pot. You know, still, so. not, no one knows who, who Paul Pot is. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that isn't that that chef? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> was, he, was he a character in that cartoon Ratatouille? Well, who, who's Paul Pot? What? Oh my God. Why are they? Why are they comparing him to a, to a cartoon? We need more damn dictators out there <laughs> in our the history. Problem. It's and and they've run. That's it. They've run the out of things to, to call them. You know. No, but you're right. But Satan would have. But they can't say Satan because that they that, would be acknowledging they, be, they believe in God. Yeah, yeah, they'd be acknowledging religion exists. Right. Exactly. Because <laughs> if there's a Satan, there's a God. They can't do that. So what do they do? <laughs> Where do they go? <laughs> we, we we need more images of evil. Yeah, and then and then Nancy from the back of the room chimes in. Oh, I know what what call them a bad person. <laughs> no, <laughs> shut up, Nancy. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> I mean, they've just run. Out, they've just run out of things to you know to call them. I mean, it's just you can't. Uh, you know, racist every turn. Ah, racist, racist. Well, that's racist. And then they're calling each other racist. I mean, you know, you you just run out of it. Your ammunition is empty. There's nothing there. It's a shell. And over and over again, they have it, it, things come back at them so hard. It's it's like <laughs> I said one time. It's it's like a bunch of children. Uh, you know, you got a thousand children in a gymnasium yeah, all screaming, screaming at the same right. time. Yep. Well, now it's like a thousand children in a gymnasium screaming and throwing each of them throwing boomerangs because there's just boomerangs coming back at them left and right. We asked the question. We we did the follow through on the thought of having Biden uh, stand aside or uh, challenging him in a primary it implies that you're going to leapfrog the current over the current vice president, a female of color. Go ahead. Please make that happen. Please do that. Now, having said that, you know, they've already, I mean, she herself, uh, just like uh, Lori Lightfoot recently, uh, you know, calling people uh, bigots and implying they're bigots and, and mis- misogynists. And, and that's exactly what Kamala Harris did. When she dropped out in December of 2019, when her campaign imploded, and she said America are a bunch of uh, racist and and misogynists. And, of course, critical thinkers had to remind her that this is the primary. That's your party you're talking about. So the Democrats are racist. Exactly. And misogynist. Yep. And and so uh, it's amazing how it seems that people don't pick up on that when... Mm. When they make that claim, it's like, well, they're calling Democrats right. that, not Republicans. Right, right. Uh, thing is, though, Biden, a- after 
uh, after his decision on the the D.C. crime law, he's running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, yeah. The, it's the only yep. reason he because yep. Yep. they know that no matter how they try to say he's tough on crime, the public views him as being the leader of the party that's not tough on crime. Mm-hmm. And he's tough on crime because he's vulnerable there. Yep. And yep. so for him to make this decision to do it and go against the mainstream Democratic Party shows he's running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's running. Yeah, he's he's running, and I'm waiting for him and, to do you know a couple of other moves to try and and this well, is basically the other one. The other one was a couple of weeks ago coming out with that executive order, which is almost like Trump's stay in Mexico. Yeah, no, that's one of them. You're right. Yep. And so he's building. He's trying to build this new recent history yep. so he can point to it on the campaign trail next year if he's going to be on a trail because he might be in the basement of the White House, given given the history of his campaign styles. Um, but he's going to have to build something so he can try and moderate a bit. But I honestly believe that that, that doesn't work. It, it, there's especially with as bad as the, as, as his presidency has been so far, it's not going to get across to the people in the middle. And that's who you're trying to, uh, basically get to come to your side and vote for you. Eight six six ninety red eye Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. Uh, He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. 866-90-RED-EYE. The interesting Fauci story that came out over the weekend. Plus, uh, DeSantis uh, in California and Trump at CPAC. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, seeing mm-hmm. where that, since we talked about the uh, the uh, the Democrats and whether we will see Hillary or Al Gore. Mm. Could you imagine? <laughs> could you? Could you? I just. <laughs> I don't think I can quit my contract, can I? Over something like. I probably. We have years left in the contract, many uh-huh. years, and so on. Mm-hmm. Like, can I go to management and say, look, I want to I want to quit next year because the debate's going to be Hillary Clinton, Al Gore and John Kerry. And Harris and Williamson. Take an extended paid leave or unpaid extended, leave. <laughs> unpaid leave. <laughs> extended I'll unpaid pay leave. you to give me leave. <laughs> well, you know, do I have to sit? Well, look, I may want to quit if that's the case, but just you, as you know, just as we were talking about Mussolini and everything else, you're going to have to explain to a lot of, a lot of young people who Al Gore is. <laughs> Who's this new guy? I'm the one that. Hey, I'm John Kerry. Remember, I criticized ISIS for not providing health care. By the way, don't expect me to. Fly commercial. I won't be flying commercial. No, he can't. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara. Welcome and good morning. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. 
and listen when and where you choose if you can't listen live overnight on one of our great radio stations. And thank you to everybody who listens live overnight. Thank what you. are you doing up this early? Or this late? <laughs> Can't uh, be for a good reason. It's never for a good reason. Nothing good happens after midnight, according to our boss. Except for a night. Yeah, that's not what he says. <laughs> he makes no exceptions. So, uh, this from the New York Post. New emails uncovered by House Republicans probing the COVID-19 pandemic reveal the deceptive nature of Dr. Anthony Fauci. This is from the lead article in the New York Post. They show he prompted or commissioned and had final approval on a scientific paper written specifically in February of 2020 to disprove the theory that the virus leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China. Eight weeks later, Fauci stood at the White House uh, at a White House press conference along with uh, alongside President Trump and cited that paper as evidence that the lab leak theory was implausible while pretending it had nothing to do with him. And he did not know the authors of the study that he commissioned. There was a study recently, he told reporters, on April 17th, 2020, when asked that the virus could have come from a Chinese lab, where a group of highly qualified evolutionary virologists looking at the sequences in bats as they evolve and the mutations uh, that it took to get to the point where it is now totally consistent with the jump from a species, uh, from a jump of a species from an animal to a human so the paper will be available i don't have the authors right now but we can make it available to you well when he said that he knew about it he commissioned the study he knew who the authors were the paper uh, is entitled the uh, proximal origin of sars cov2 was sent to fauci for editing in draft form and again for final approval before it was published in Nature Medicine on February 17th of 2020. It was written four days after Fauci and his boss, Francis Collins, held a call with the four authors to discuss reports that COVID-19 may have leaked from the Wuhan lab and may have intentionally been genetically manipulated. That's a quote. The House Oversight Subcommittee published the emails yesterday in which the paper's co-author, Dr. Christian Anderson, admits Fauci prompted him to write the paper with the goal of disproving the lab leak theory. On February 12th, Anderson submitted the paper to Nature Medicine with the cover email, There's been a lot of speculation, fear-mongering, and conspiracies put forward in this space. The paper was uh, uh, in this space. Uh, the paper was prompted by uh, Jeremy Farah, Tony Fauci, and Francis Collin. Farah, then head of the British nonprofit, the Wellcome Trust, which has historic ties to the pharmaceutical industry, and the Gates Foundation, was rewarded with a plum roll 
of chief scientists at the World Health Organization last December. Uh, and so they go through the entire thing there of what was written, but the point is what what and and you know you can talk about you know the uh, everything that went you know around with that paper and went around with the different phone calls that we have talked about. But the fact is what they're making here is Fauci commissioned this with the goal to disprove. Yeah. The lab leak theory that right, in itself right. in February of 2020 shows he wasn't saying, let's find out where this came from. No, he was saying, give me the evidence to show that the lab leak theory is not probable. Right. Why would you do that? Because you're covering it up. You're a scientist, right? Yep. And if you remember early on, we said. He's no longer a scientist. He's a bureaucrat. And there's a difference between a scientist and a bureaucrat, even if you hold scientific credentials. And repeatedly, he's been proven to be a liar. Because why would you do that? I want you, I'm, I'm commissioning an article and we need to prove that it didn't come. Well, you don't know. Right. You have no idea. You don't know. He didn't know. We still don't know for sure. Well, maybe the intelligence agencies do, but they're not telling us precisely what the information is. No. And they're saying most likely came from, but they haven't connected the dots and shown it to the public of how those dots have been connected. So Fauci didn't know at that time. He had no idea. Why was he, why was, did he commission a study to disprove something when he had no idea which theory was right. It was, let's make something work to to build the cover-up officially. You're trying to falsely put something together so that you can have something to show everybody. See, it wasn't a lab leak. Why would you work so hard to do that? There's only one reason. Because you can't let it get out that it was a lab leak. That's the only reason. I've got to build something that looks scientific to shut this whole lab leak theory down. Uh, What Fauci and friends wanted us to think of the lab leak theory was that it looked... That was that... uh, uh, was was that uh, the theory was not probable from the get-go, hmm. as one dissenting scientist said at the time. The question is, why Fauci went to such an effort to obscure the origins of COVID-19 is a major focus of the GOP-led committee. Mm-hmm. Why did you do that? You didn't know. Why were you, say- why were you taking sides? Except for the fact that the NIH was involved in taxpayer funds Mm -hmm. going to that lab. Yes. Which, I guess, gets you back to the old old saying, follow the money trail. Yeah. So, um, So you need to build something that looks scientific 
something that looks like real data to shut down this whole conversation of a lab leak. That's the only reason. You're not doing an investigation. The purpose of it is not to find out how it happened. The purpose of it is to prove something didn't happen. Well, why would you do that? Why would there be a study to prove something di- that didn't happen? And as we was telling you last week, I believe it was in Spiked that said, you know, what what the intelligence agencies are actually looking at. That we don't. It's it's not that they've connected the dots through witnesses or something like that. Right. It's a fact that they've actually looked at the virus mm. and a certain and the DNA of the virus. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain part. I'm not going to get into the explanation of it because it would be too complicated. And frankly, I don't fully understand it. But what they're claiming is a, a part of the DNA of the of this particular virus is not found in anything that is in nature at all mm-hmm. of all the different coronaviruses they can't find this one particular thing and they were told well you just haven't searched far enough mm-hmm. well they've searched far enough and they can't find anything that relates to it and that's why they believe that it is a it is a lab leak is because right. the uh, covid-19 or SARS-CoV-2 is the, you know, the official i guess label of it contain something that none of the other coronaviruses that they've ever, hundreds and hundreds of different coronaviruses or maybe thousands, they can't find this one particular marker in any of the other ones. Right. And that's why they think it. And that's why the Department of Energy, which is the, you know, the labs, that's that's what they're looking at. And that's why they're moving in that direction. Mm. It's all part of, the, you know, the DNA. Yeah, of, it, of the actual virus. Yeah, eventually the you know the truth, especially on something like this, is going to get to the surface, as we've been saying on a number of fronts. But there was no way you were going to hide this forever. But you only commission a report like this in order to shut down a narrative, a narrative that works against you. That if the truth, where the truth is found out, then. It's going to look bad on you and a number of other people. And that's what it comes down to. And still there's no pressure from the White House saying, China, you need to cooperate with right. us. No. Nothing. No. Yeah. As we said, well, the president came out and told our people to investigate it. That's not enough. you got to tell China that they need to cooperate. Yep. You're not doing it. Why not? Your FBI director says that's likely the case. It was a lab leak. How would you not be right on the heels of Director Ray saying that in in the most recent interview that he did? You would make the announcement, we're, we're going to make sure that we follow through and we're going to put the pressure on China and we're not going to stop until we find the answers. Right. And we've stated it, you have not seen any curiosity from any major Democrat out there no. as to the origins of COVID. No. From the very, very beginning. Why not? It's something where I'm looking at this, these, the uh, stats right here. 1.13 million Americans have died. Mm-hmm. No interest on the Democrats as to the origin of this. No. They've been fighting it since the very beginning. Yep. You have to ask yourself, why? Why have they not pressured China to get to the bottom of this? 
Why? That's a totally legit question. You can't let that just sit and hang out there. No. Without without then immediately, you want to know where conspiracy theories come from. I think, uh, was it, um, but it Shara last week or uh, McCary last week? One of them said that because of the response here. He's, oh, he talked about the fact that because of the the distrust, he, he blamed a lot of the anti-vaccine conspiracy theories on the complete distrust mm. of the fact that the government has lied to us. Mm-hmm. He said of vaccines totally outside of COVID. Yeah, right. The anti-vax movement has totally increased for all vaccines. Right. None of them are safe. Right. This is, and this was all generated because of complete and total, as he said, lies from the government. Yep. It's a very, look, in every case, in in any major situation, especially as Democrats, they're always looking to be the hero. Why aren't they looking to be the hero here? Why aren't any major Democrats, why weren't they from the beginning screaming that they're going to find the answers, they're going to find out how all this happened they're going to get to the bottom of it. We're going to be your savior. They do that on every other major item, and they don't do it here. You know, they talked about last week also when they did the uh, the, uh, the the hearings mm. uh, that the whole – remember how we were wiping down every surface? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was useless. Right. And he said because it wasn't – it was being spread in the air. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, they always talked about the surface, and everybody was – remember, you couldn't go in the store and find any cleaning stuff anywhere. Well, people were wiping down their groceries before they brought them in the house. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you look at how much was 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 wrong on this and how much was false mm-hmm. and how much was the government attempting to hide or push you in a particular direction. You know, the mask thing, I mean, that's blown up in their faces completely yeah. now. Right. After the Cochrane report came out. Right. Useless. Yeah. And he said, if the mask doesn't fit, then you must acquit. <laughs> okay. Different Cochran. Okay. And those are the things that, you know, you you look at where they created policy. And, and by the way, they knew early on. There was evidence early on, but it was going to be ignored. You know, the whole Great, Barring, uh, Great Barrington document thing. Yep. That was ignored. And those weren't. You know, those weren't pundits. No. Those no. were doctors. Those were doctors. And they were viewed as racist and consp- racist conspiracy theorists. Right, exactly. Just remember that when, you know, okay, he's Hitler, he's Mussolini, because Mussolini is now coming into the yes. Democrats screaming against Republicans. Right, right. Remember, mm-hmm. racist conspiracy theorists, mm-hmm. and they were the ones that didn't want you to know the truth. Right. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. If you like listening to Red Eye On Demand, we have more of Eric Harley and guests for you. Download RER's Extra Mile podcast. More time.
It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Republican race is uh, interesting. Um, yeah. I've seen uh, a few headlines out there. The the uh, populist CPAC. <laughs> hmm. Not conservative, but the... the, the <laughs> it should be the PPAC. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Or and, C could be centered... Send, you know, Senate conservative, whatever. whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you know, is is uh, is CPAC the uh, the CPAC of a William Buckley and a Milton Friedman? Eh, probably not. <laughs> not where it uh, was, but uh, interesting. I did notice that Trump said uh, in his speech that uh, he will oppose anybody who is attempting to reduce the benefits of Social Security. Yeah. No, but that's clearer than we're not going to touch anything in Social Security. Yeah. Right. Because that means somebody has to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so either you're, in order to pay for Social Security and Medicare down the road, either the funding for it that comes from from uh, people that are putting into it skyrockets or it becomes part of the general fund. Yeah. Because, I was, because you and I talked about that was a weak spot for for Trump to not be specific on that because that is most Republicans would look at that and say, well, look, it's, it's fine to say you want to keep the benefits the same. How do you do that is the question. Mm -hmm. You can't ignore that. You can't claim to be conservative and just say, okay, I'm going to live in a dream world and just say, everything remains the same. Nothing changes. No increase in the cost of social security. No other tax money go for it. And the, the, the money stays the same. Mm-hmm. can't happen no because we thought that was a weak spot maybe not to the public is, and in general you know because the public we've talked about you know just in in general the budget and the public believes that if you if you take care of if you just eliminate uh wasteful spending and eliminate foreign aid that we can fund everything we can't that's how bad the situation is yeah um you know, it isn't going to uh, look. the The fact of the matter is, is that there have to be some very, at some point, there's going to have to be some very clear cuts. But it's likely the cuts aren't going to happen until we get to a point where there is no turnaround, there is no choice. And with Social Security and Medicare, and Medicare, it's likely going to be uh, something like you know, increasing the age. Uh, reducing or ending the cap on what you pay in or all the above in order to fund it. But, yeah, try and slash benefits. Politically, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. individuals and businesses with tax problems. Listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control of your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can... Five hours a night and still not enough. Listen to our podcast available on the app and on our website, Red. I radio show dot com.
And he is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 Red Eye. So, uh, yeah, uh, DeSantis was in, uh, you know, California, Trump at uh, uh, CPAC. DeSantis talking about all the things that he has talked about. And he's, I, I obviously, he's going to play, you know, the, the, uh, the, the political narrative that you want to be like Florida and not like California, not like New York, not like Illinois, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that is going to be part of what he uh, uh, runs. Now, I wonder whether he's doing that because he believes Newsom will eventually get in. I do wonder that. Well, uh, no, I think I, you could you could certainly set it up um, now and for the future, whether it's 24 or 28. Right, but he's not running a primary campaign now, even no. a stealth primary campaign. Uh, he's, he's running a general campaign. Mm-hmm. A stealth general campaign right now. I did see that. I forgot who had the article that uh, the uh, the the Trump people are trying to find a name for him, and they were, you know, you know the ones they have used haven't worked, and um, the one they're thinking of is Tiny D. Okay, it's like it doesn't work. It's it's not going to fly. <clears throat> it's not. Well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, I, I didn't hear anything new. Uh, from from Trump, I didn't expect to hear anything new. You know, he is what he is, and he won based on the things that that uh, that that he you know that he believes on and uh, tough on trade, tough on China, uh, tough on foreign policy, mm-hmm. um, all things that I expected from him. You know, if it was, if it ends up being DeSantis and Trump, uh, Trump, I think Trump gets an extra bonus on foreign policy because of Biden. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I don't care what they say. Biden going to Ukraine was not this big foreign relations coup. And, and so I think that, uh, when it comes to the primary, Trump has it on foreign policy, you know, on, on those particular Mm -hmm. issues Mm -hmm. on wokeness. I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell you how much, uh, what what DeSantis has done uh, from from you know going after the the uh, the woke culture and I mean that I say woke culture because that's what people relate to, mm-hmm. but it's actually going after critical race theory and the liberal transgender activist movement. I know. Oh, by the way, Hogan isn't running. He's not going. From <laughs> saw that over the weekend. I'm like, mm-hmm. yawn. <laughs> yeah. No, nobody really th- th- thought you would, but. You know the still his attacks in Sununu on on basically on DeSantis that it's you know the whole it's big government by go you know by the whole thing the fight with Disney that's all big government over just woke things it's not over just woke things no it's no. over it's a totally different ball game when you get to specifics of it and Democrats are going to try to pound on DeSantis on this but it's very hard when you break it down and say oh, when you say woke. It doesn't seem as serious, and that's why he should be specific. They call it woke. I call it teaching sexualized content to five-year-olds. If companies are going to endorse that, then they don't get certain benefits from the state. We don't think you should promote and advocate for teaching sexualized content and telling kids as young as five years old that they can change from a male to a female. That's how you present it. Yep. And so it's the particular context of the issue. 
But sitting there and making that a big government issue might apply to maybe, I don't know, a fringe libertarian. But it's not going to resonate with anybody from the the Republican Party. I still think with Trump, it comes Trump and DeSantis, if that's what it ends up being, comes down to one thing with Republicans. I don't think most Republicans see a major difference except the fact that DeSantis doesn't have the baggage, which means can Trump win an election? Yeah. Right. I yeah. think it comes down to winning. I don't think I, I do think they look at it and go, okay, we need to move on, you know, from 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 Trump. I think people know his baggage and they believe, many Republicans believe, his baggage will make it so any Democrat can beat him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and their fear is <clears throat> if Biden beat him, anybody can beat him. There isn't any Democrat that can I'm telling you what their fear is. Mm-hmm. Their fear is if Biden can beat him, anybody can beat Trump. There isn't any Democrat that can't beat Trump is what they're thinking in the primary. And DeSantis, they believe we have a victory. I don't believe it's really major differences on issues. Yeah, I guess it would be at that point uh, is Biden's baggage greater than Trump's baggage. That would be the difference, yeah, mm-hmm. that, because he's he's been in office and you see what he has done. Yeah. Again, I'm not telling you what I think. I'm telling you what I believe a significant portion of Republicans mm-hmm. in a primary between DeSantis right. and because we're not to the general election yet, mm-hmm. it would be, you know, what they fear as the better for Republicans to go up against Biden or anybody else. Mm-hmm. But I think the fear is that, that he would lose, that Trump would lose to anybody else in the Democratic Party. That that's where the independents that dislike Trump. Well, there's 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 that actually is. uh, I mean, that really is the key. The focus is going to be on the independents. Yeah, because. Here's here's the real question. Would they under any circumstance vote for Trump again? As a group, are they going to side with Trump? Now, there's a couple of things that can be either attracted to vote for Trump through the Trump campaign for re-election, or they can be pushed to vote for Trump through the Biden campaign <laughs> for re-election. I, I think the one thing from, the, from Re- Republicans is the results of the 2022 midterm. Mm-hmm. I don't even think it's 2020. Mm-hmm. Because you can have the, the debate still going on within Democrat or within Republicans, whether it was stolen or not. Mm-hmm. I think what makes the difference is 2022. I think that's what made the difference. That's what made the difference. That's when they said, okay, there is a problem here with Trump. To, to many uh, yeah, Republicans. I, I would think, yeah, for the, the those um, uh, the, the the major candidates that were endorsed by Trump, and the fact yes. that they didn't get through, yeah, they didn't win. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I mean, it was the whole, the whole <laughs> thing with the Republicans coming out saying, you know, uh, next time we had a meeting and next time we'd really like to find candidates that can win. Yeah. It's like, that. that's a novel idea. <laughs> right, right. Hey. But I mean, that's, I don't think, you know, there. I was reading something the other day that Trump is crowding out, uh, Trump is crowding out DeSantis uh, and because he's taking a stand on many of these issues first. And I went, I don't think that's the, I, I don't, could be right. I mean, you don't know until you actually go through it. Uh, and, and time changes things. I mean, the, the, the uh, we're still a year away from, you know, the, uh, the votes and primaries coming in. Mm-hmm. And so you, when you look at it, I, I don't really think, well, Trump's got the lead and DeSantis should get in because Trump has the lead and he's, uh, he's, you know, uh, there's nowhere for DeSantis to go. Well, sure there is. I can win. He can't. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, well, that's what I, I it's, think. I it think was that, never about issues. Yeah. I think that, I think that his ability also, uh, to bring his own party together within his state. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you can extrapolate that out on a national scale, but it doesn't mean that he that that it wouldn't. You know, they, those are the things you look at because I guess the independent's going to worry about. All right, look, if I'm going to vote Republican, if I'm going to support a Republican here, I do want somebody that I believe can bring their own party together. And that's one thing that with Trump's history, even before the whole thing of the election and results of 2020 was a concern for Trump. He would hire you. He would get you even nominated for his cabinet and then you would get approved for his cabinet. And then he would go after you, not criticizing you, but really go after you and then come up with a nickname for you and that was the problem. And then the question became, well, who wants to work for somebody who's only going, you're only when you're hired in or nominated and and uh, approved by the Senate and put in that position on the cabinet, you're only, it's only a matter of time before you're going to be the target. Well, well if you go back to 2016, I remember sitting here and so many Trump supporters would call and say, he knows how to hire the right people. Mm-hmm. Well, the majority of the people he hired ended up not endorsing him right yeah they did not leave at the the vast majority who left of the high profile people did not support trump afterwards Mm -hmm. and so desantis might use that and what i was giving the broad brush of saying you want to win you're giving them you're giving the specifics of how to win I won by well, and the I, demonstration I, I, of I, I how won, to govern. I, I I won I won by a record by governing this way mm-hmm. and brought everybody together, brought independents to vote Republican, brought Democrats to vote Republicans. Now Trump will use that and say, "See, he's an establishment Republican. He got Democrats to vote for him and independents to vote for him." Mm-hmm. Whether that will work or not, I don't know because I don't know anyone who's really looking. If if you're looking at, if you believe that. That because uh, Trump has been attacking him mostly on things like, uh, you know, that uh, he would reform Social Security and Medicare. Well, everybody knows it has to be done. Mm-hmm. And so by Trump coming out and stating that, OK, I won't cut the benefits. Will you leave it open that you would reform? You have to reform Social Security and Medicare. Yeah, Every Republican right. knows that you may not like it, but you know it. And the thing, for example, somebody like me. 
You don't reform the benefits. The benefits stay the same until I die. Mm-hmm. And then you can lower them. Mm-hmm. Because it's all about me. Right. <laughs> no, I'm. that's what, you know, people want their benefits. They see that they'd like to have those benefits. But the fact is you have to reform it. Well, you and, have to, you and I think the, you know, the important part of, of my point earlier is that we are far past the time when you are just going to go out and and um, and create nicknames and attack within. It's not that you can you can't disagree with people in your party, but ultimately you have to prove that you can govern in a way that you bring your party together and that you keep them together. That you can govern in in a way that leads your party. Trump is able to do that, but has shown also that he can get the guns out and start firing into the air inside of the saloon. And what you want is that consistency of being able to bring, you know, your party together in a big way. Then the question for DeSantis on that level would be, can you take that outside of Florida and do that outside well, of Florida? Well, you, you bring your party together, though, because tr- that's where Trump will attack you. For your, you're an establishment, you're, you know, you're a you know, neocon, whatever, because I, for, I forgot the, the sentence that he used where he was saying, you know, we don't want to be the old Republican Party anymore. Mm-hmm. And if you bring Democrats, you bring independents in, that's what the old Republican Party was trying to do. Mm-hmm. But with DeSantis, what he would be selling is, no, I'm as conservative as you can be. And when you explain conservatism right, you've got Democrats, especially when you see the Democratic Party, you bring Democrats and independents aboard mm-hmm. when you explain it correctly. When you communicate yeah. effectively with the public, I, I do it, Trump doesn't. That that would be something that I could see DeSantis doing in a primary campaign. Well, you look at parts of Florida that haven't been red in forever. Yeah. And it happened under DeSantis. So the question is, can you extrapolate that out? Can you do that again and do that on a national scale? 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. And I say all this stuff, uh, again, not as my opinion, but my observation on, on where I believe the two campaigns might go, you know, DeSantis mm-hmm. and and uh, and and both, uh, both Trump. Uh, you know, I really don't see, you know, I, I look at some of the, you know, other possibilities out there for Republicans and, I don't know. I I just I I don't see anybody gaining any traction. No, no, no. You know, I don't care whether it's Sununu or Pompeo. I just don't see it. No, nope. no. Uh, you know, and, Pompeo said over the weekend, any conservative president will do better than Trump on debt and spending. You know, what, what do, does he try to run on that? Well, I, on on debt and spending, but can you really politically? Can you do that? Yeah. If you got into office, could you actually do that? What Pompeo is promoting? Not that I don't support it, but is it real? 
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you choose. And thank you. Now, just very quickly, we touched on this last week when uh, when uh, uh, Biden decided uh, not to go along with uh, with uh, Democrats. Um, and I'm reading this right here. Uh, this is from uh, Jim Carity, National Review. Democrats melt down as Biden stands with Republicans. Uh, how big is a deal that President Biden is siding with House and Senate Republicans and overruling the District of Columbia City Council's overhaul of its criminal code? My initial thought when the news broke yesterday was that this was largely a local story that would likely be overtaken quickly by other events. But now I'm not so sure. The issue of crime and how to respond to it is exposing a deep fissure right down the middle of the Democratic Party. In the account of the Hill.com, House Democrats are about as furious with Biden as they've been during his entire presidency. And it really does sound like Biden left them out to dry. Last month, 173 House Democrats voted along with what they thought was the White House's stance that Biden would veto the resolution in an attempt to stand up for the district's home rule. Instead, Biden made the revelation to Senate Democrats during lunch on Thursday and in the process angered their colleagues across the Capitol complex. The White House F this up royally, one House Democrat told The Hill, noting the White House issued a statement of administration policy opposing the resolution and backing D.C., and that the House Democrat leadership told lawmakers that Biden was prepared to veto the measure. The declaration from the Office of Management and Budget called on Congress to respect the District of Columbia's autonomy to govern their own local affairs. So a lot of us who are allies voted no in order to support what the White House wanted. Hmm. The White House told them, we're going to vote this way. Yeah. And they said, okay, we'll vote with you because the president's voting this way mm-hmm. and we'll be the, you know, we'll be the bullhorn for home rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the actual, the actual thing the District of Columbia wishes to do, uh, is going to increase crime. Uh, but we're standing with the president for home rule. Let them make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. And what they're claiming is many of those 173 House Democrats would have voted opposite, would have voted because they know they're weak on crime. And so they would have voted the opposite to vote against the District of Columbia. The home rule would have meant nothing to them. It would have been no. You- they missed the opportunity to have that. You know, uh, we're tough on crime stance politically. All that's out the window because of the way that they they did the, I don't know if you want to call it bait and switch, but pulled the rug right. on, 
out from under them at the White House. Says so, so a lot of us who are allies voted no in order to support what the White House yeah. wanted. They weren't voting the way right. that they wanted right. to, to vote. And now we're being hung out to dry. <laughs> Blank and amateur hour. Heads should roll over at the White House over this. And as we, we read that portion of this on Friday and said, well, that would be the president, right? <laughs> there, no, this was this was him. House Democrat added multiple other lawmakers were extremely PO'd over the situation. Also note that apparently no one at the White House bothered to reach out to Washington Mayor Bowser or members of the D.C. City Council to give them a heads up before announcing the decision. Amateur hour indeed. Said in November of 2022, the District of Columbia Council passed a revised criminal code act, a bill modernizing and overhauling the district's criminal laws. As the state's Criminal Code Revision Commission noted, the district's current criminal code has not undergone a comprehensive revision since its creation by Congress in 1901. The current code includes outdated references to stables and steamboats, Uh as well as outdated offenses that criminalize playing games of bandy and shindy. The controversy arose when the Criminal Code Commission included some significant reductions in certain criminal penalties. We know that, uh, oh, what's her name? We played her earlier. Donna Brazil? Donna Brazil. I I know, Mm -hmm. I was thinking Donna Shalala for some reason. Mm -hmm. Donna Brazil was Mm -hmm. saying, well, this is what it's about. No, what the Republicans voted was how they wished to reduce, for for example here, uh, the new law eliminates life sentences and gets rid of mandatory minimums for every crime but first-degree murder. Under the old law, the maximum penalty for a previously convicted felon using a gun to commit more violence was 15 years. Under the new law, it drops to four years. In the last three years, Washington, D.C. has endured an exploding rate of carjackings with 485 last year. You may recall that uh, Washington commanders running back Brian Robinson was shot twice during a uh, carjacking on August 28th. Thankfully, Robinson survived and healed well enough to play during the season. The shooter was 14 years old. The new law indeed reduces mandatory minimum sentences for carjackings, uh, but also creates more classifications of the uh, the crime. The argument of the commission and the council is that reducing mandatory uh, minimums won't necessarily reduce the time served, but that under current law, fewer, few felons serve the maximum time anyway, but Mayor Bowser argued the new laws would result in shorter sentences. She's as liberal as you can get, by the way. If the penalty is high and the, the usual sentences are somewhat lower, if you take it down, then doesn't it stand to reason that the sentence goes, sentences go even lower? Yes, it does, and that's what we know. But the 13-member council overrode her veto, uh, and uh, uh, so um, her objection was mostly symbolic. And so that's it right there. So it's it says the notorious right wingers at the Washington Post editorial board warned that the far reaching rewrite of the criminal code will further the tie the hands of the police and prosecutors while overwhelming the courts. It's hmm. <laughs> like but the notorious right wingers. But that's the whole point there. The home rule is basically Congress gets to set what goes on in District of Columbia. Yeah. Right on th- on things like this, they can over- they can override because mm-hmm. it's not a state. Right, that's in the that's the way the Constitution has it. Mm-hmm. 
And the Democrats talk about home rule, which you should be able to be autonomous and have your home rule. Mm-hmm. Might be nice, not constitutional. Right. You know, and it's simply that. But the fact is, as they know, Democrats really don't give a damn about home rule. They were just willing to vote for it because they thought Biden was standing behind them. Now, Biden has held them out to dry as Republicans can say, see, in D.C., with the crime rate the way that it was, the Democrats didn't care about it. And they're going to go, well, home rule, they should be able to vote. Well, the Constitution doesn't let them. Was that the way the law is? Yeah. Well, sorry. I mean, I don't know where you go on that if you're a Democrat and they realize the weakness of their position because now they're not going to have the White House backing them. And by the way, Karine Jean-Pierre was saying 173 Democrats voted against it, but the president and the president believes in home rule, but he doesn't. No. They complimented the Democrats that voted the opposite way that the president wishes to vote and then says the president stands with them, but he doesn't. Because there is no explaining this last-minute turn. They could have, the idea is, they could have, as a party, both in D.C. and and, uh, in, in the House and Senate, could have built a narrative if they had known which way the White House was going to go. And he pulled the rug. I just love this here as he writes it here. In fact, you've heard Democrats, including Joe Biden, argue that D.C. should become a state, as President Biden declared less than two years ago that this taxation without representation and denial of self-governance is an affront to the Democratic values Mm -hmm. on which our nation was founded. Unless, of course, two years before a Democratic president runs for re-election, the D.C. City Council passes a law that Republicans use to paint the Democrats as soft on crime, then apparently the president is happy to jump on board with the Republican-led effort to reject softer criminal penalties. (laughs) President Biden's position, as I summed up yesterday, is that he supports D.C. statehood, home rule, and the district making its own decisions right up until the moment the D.C. City Council makes a decision that could hurt the Democratic Party's image as a whole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Just fantastic. So, uh... Never underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to F things up. (sighs) Even within your own party. You know, because that's the thing is, if they know where he's going, then what you have to do is you have to rebuild your narrative and you have to do something. You have to do it in in some kind of positive way. You have to say, all right, look, uh, we're going to, the home rule thing's going to have to, you know, take the back seat so we can be tough on crime at least through 24. We can pretend to be tough on crime. That's the way the White House is going to go. That's the narrative we'll, be, we'll build. But Biden chose to take this stand after 81% of House Democrats had gone out on the limb, arguing there was nothing in the D.C. criminal code revision bad enough to require Congress to step in. The National Republican Congressional Committee is breaking out the party hats 
uh, NRCC National Press Secretary Will Reinhardt issued a statement that decriminalization of violent offenses is not a problem for the 173 House Democrat extremists, but surprisingly too far uh, too far for weak on crime. Biden, the ad script writes itself. When you write about rising crime, you almost inevitably run into some progressives who insist that crime rates really aren't rising and this is all media hype. And yet, New York City voters elected a former cop who pledged to crack down on crime. Voters in San Francisco recalled District Attorney uh, Bowden. Uh, Republican Lee Zeldin came within six percentage points of winning the New York governor's race in a state the GOP loses by 20 to 30 points. And incumbent Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot got 17% in a primary. 17%. Mm. And then Biden does this. And it shows that crime is a problem. And the president just has admitted crime is a problem. And crime reform that the Democrats are proposing is a problem. Yep. When he goes and reverses what he told Democrats would do with what what he he told he reversed what he told democrats he would do and now they feel completely betrayed because now the republican party is looking at them and saying see this was even too radical for biden yet all these people voted for it left him out to dry he doesn't care you know and and the fact that they recognize they have to even build the perception that they want to be tough on crime yeah yeah great point yes that they that they realize they we, got screwed we, over by Biden shows right. they understand crime is a problem. Right. By the way, I disagree with Jim uh, uh, Garrity. We we knew immediately this was going to be a huge problem. Oh when yeah. The when the president reversed. Oh, we yeah. knew it would be more than local. Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. No. It, it, yeah. I I kind of wondered where he was coming from on that because right away. <laughs> no, this is this is huge. I mean, it it exploded that day. I guess it was right after the lunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Like, what in the world? It was like, on? whoa. Now we kind of laughed because it was like, okay, yeah, one more thing for Joe Biden. We weren't surprised by it. We said, no. well, he'll he'll betray the Democrats. Yep. He 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 realizes that he is viewed on too soft on crime, and at mm-hmm. the last minute, decided to change his mind. Yep. Yeah. You know, and and that's just the way. He's going to be. He's totally unpredictable. And I think that he's going to get pounded on it because, again, oh, yeah. Kareem Jean-Pierre, you know, the other day saying, you know, he's for home rule. Mm-hmm. He's for statehood. Uh-huh. Well, he's not because no. he voted against this. Yeah. Well, that's because he's concerned with crime. But but he said, <laughs> he said self-rule. That yeah. you, and what, what you're saying is he's only for home rule, home rule. He's only for the home rule if they agree with him. Yeah. Right. And he's only for statehood then if they agree with him. If they don't agree with him on the issues, then he's not for any of this, which shows the whole damn thing is just political. Yep. It's not about the substance or the morality that they keep preaching. No. 86690 Red Eye. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at JJ Keller. And I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. Drivers should be familiar with how their actions affect their motor carrier's compliance, safety, accountability or CSA score, in the seven basic categories. The driver fitness score is based on the physical and medical qualifications of drivers. The vehicle maintenance category requires drivers to know how to inspect CMVs and secure cargo. 
hours of service compliance relies on drivers keeping accurate records of duty and abiding by hours of service limits. The unsafe driving category is affected by unsafe driving behaviors such as failing to wear a seatbelt or obey traffic laws. Drivers should understand the drug and alcohol prohibitions to prevent hurting their carrier's controlled substances and alcohol basic score. And drivers who transport hazmat must know how to safely transport hazardous materials according to the regulations. The final basic category, crash prevention, is based on how many crashes a motor carrier has been involved in. So drivers must know how to drive safely to avoid crashes. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller and Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. Check out all the latest in news, events, trucking information, and... It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, uh, Red Eye. I like the way this headline was written. Walmart is set to close all stores in Portland amid record-breaking retail theft. Mm. And they go into last, was it last year? Um, let me see here. Um, Walmart announced its uh, plans to close its final two locations in Portland, Oregon, at the end of March, following underwhelming financial results, quote, we have nearly 5,000 stores in the U.S., and fortunately, some do not meet our financial expectations, the corporation said in a statement. While our underlying business is strong, these specific stores haven't performed as well as we have wanted. Uh, 600 employees will lose their jobs. It comes after a statement by the Walmart CEO in December of 22, uh, 22, noting that record-breaking retail theft had undercut the company's economic performance as of late. Yeah, they said this just a few months ago. He was yeah. talking about that. And it it they if they can't get on top of it, then they can't stay profitable in that location. they got to close it down. Theft is an issue. It's higher than it, what it has historically been, he told CNBC. Prices will be higher and or stores will close. Yep. Okay. And, and you know, there were, I saw some articles and some comments by locals saying, look, in these areas, this is our, this is our choice. This is, this is our only solution in terms of high prices. This is our discount retailer in this area. We, we shop here, we get everything here and we're losing that. You can blame that on your local leaders. I uh, saw a, a local report on it where everybody admitted it's the shoplifting. Yeah. No, I mean, it's there that, wasn't anybody that's who exactly did. what it is. And, and they said they reached out to Walmart and yeah. they haven't got any response from them. But nope. they all st- talked about the shoplifting. The reporters talked about it. The people that they interviewed talked about it. They had one lady that was crying. Mm-hmm. She said yeah. there's no place else there's to no go. There's no other place to go. We, this is yeah. where we have to do all of our shopping because the prices are low. And we're not going to have another discount retailer like this because they're all, all the retailers are seeing the same thing. Big and small, they're suffering in the same way.
the fourth branch of government. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara, as uh, the voice guy just uh, said. (laughs) 866-90-RED-EYE. So I was just... um, Reading here, this uh, I I just I burst out laughing when I saw this article. Mm. Wall Street Journal had at the Hotel California wealth tax. Uh, if you can never escape, why would you want to live there in the first place? And it's written by Art Laffer and Stephen uh, Moore. Mm. Uh, Moore was a one of the economists for for Trump. Uh, Art Laffer. Every time I see that, I I think of uh, Ferris Bueller. Mm. And uh, Ben Stein scene, yeah, on the Smoot Hawley Tariff Act and mm. the Laffer Curve. Mm-hmm. Does anybody know what the Laffer Curve is? Mm-hmm. Anyone? 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 Or I think you. I think that was on the Smoot Hawley uh, uh, tariff. Mm. And does anybody know how it worked out? Anyone? Mm. Anyone? Any? That is such a great scene. And by the way, fully ad lib by Ben Stein, who was not an actor, right? They wanted him to read an off-camera thing to the students, and it didn't work. Right. And they said, well, why don't you just just ad-lib anything if you were teaching an economics class? So he actually went to tariffs. He went to tariffs. And, of course, the Laffer curve, uh, if anybody doesn't know what that is, uh, is that total tax revenue is most likely not to maximize when tax rates are at 100%. Hmm. You know, because there's disincentive from workers earning wages if it's 100%. So what is it at 90 and 70 and 60 and 50? You know, where is the point of optimal tax revenue, uh, you know, based on the disincentive not to work when it gets too high? Right. Yeah. And and so that's (laughs) such a great scene. I like the one girl. She's like drool coming out. like (laughs) (laughs) That is such a great scene. Uh, but uh, lawmakers in California, Illinois, New York, Washington State have proposed new taxes on wealth and higher incomes for the rich are on the table in Connecticut, Maryland, and Massachusetts. Residents of these seven blue states are already among the highest taxed. Mm. The states are also in financial trouble. California and New York impose income tax rates that can exceed 13%, but their budget deficits are mounting. Lawmakers in Sacramento and Albany think the answer is to soak the rich even more. Yet Florida, Tennessee, and Texas impose no state income tax and all have sturdy surpluses. Their coffers are so full, they're looking to cut taxes. How is that possible? One reason is that low-tax red states are importing capital and wealth from the high-tax blue states. Mm. For more than three decades, we have examined state-by-state financial and demographic data collected by the irs and the census bureau the latest numbers make clear the trend is now accelerating in the past 10 years six of the seven high tax blue states have had a net loss of population to other states totaling nearly five million residents washington which has no income tax has gained over the decade They've also lost almost a quarter of a trillion dollars in taxable income. California has lost $50 billion in taxable income. Connecticut, $14 billion. 
Illinois, 47 billion. Maryland, 14 billion. Massachusetts, 13 billion. New York, 26 billion. Excuse me. New Jersey, 26 billion. And New York, 79 billion in uh, cumulative tax revenue Mm. over that time. That's only the money on personal income tax returns that they have lost over the last 10 years. That does not count lost revenue from corporate profits or sales. Lawmakers desperately are seeking ways to offset the financial effects of flight. California has proposed the wealth tax. As they say, perhaps inspired by the Eagles, Hotel California Mm. would apply even after after the taxpayer leaves California. But that is assuming this is constitutional. If tech entrepreneurs discover California taxes are inescapable, they'll go to Austin, Salt Lake City, Nashville, and other booming high-tech corridors in the first place. Yeah. No, that's that's one thing that I... I think we mentioned briefly in that discussion is that, okay, then you would never even approach California. If, if you're talking about, uh, you know, going after uh, people's taxes and corporations taxes forever. Okay. What you're and, and this is what they don't get. They believe the, th- the threat of that kind of punishing tax is going to be attractive. And it's a threat. You're setting up a forever uh, pariahville in California. That's exactly what you're doing. No, no company or any person with wealth would ever want to go there if that's going to be your approach to tax people forever, even after they leave. You know, I was looking at, uh, there was uh, some study that went out, you know, the best places to live in California was mm-hmm. in the top, you know, because of, because they count, you know, it's, 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 uh, uh, you know, uh, how they, how they skew what's important. For example, right. The scenery, mm-hmm. scenery in California is wonderful. And, and so they go through all these things that are wonder the, the, the scenery, the mm-hmm. ambience and everything like that. Taxes are at the lower end, mm-hmm. cost of living at the lower end. Mm-hmm. And, and as they write here, they go, taxes aren't the only reason people move. Schools, weather, jobs, culture, crime, and the cost of living all matter. But yeah. taxes are a factor and one that drives some uh, of the others rather than doubling down on the highest taxes in the land and conjuring up new ways to soak the rich, wouldn't it be wiser for the highest tax states to start imitating the winners? This is this is the thing that blew my mind, though, in this whole article. Mm. Washington State Senator Noel uh, Frame, maybe it's from me, I don't know, but uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce the name. It's a Washington State Senator. Meanwhile, suggests that states can avoid the revenue loss by setting up, listen to this, a high-tax cartel. Let's make sure if they move, they have nowhere else to go because we're all taxing them together. Hmm. That all states should follow the high-tax states and also tax highly. Therefore, you don't leave anybody any place to go, as they write. Uh, But... 
people who leave California to escape high taxes go to Florida or Texas, not Washington or New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just love it. It just, it's just they don't, they don't get it. And you know, you see the. I don't think you know. You know what I think really. And and they they didn't think this out. I really think the massive. COVID money that went to so many states and then they adjusted their spending to that level and mm-hmm. can't come back. Right. They cannot cut back is going to vastly accelerate the deficit problems in California and New York. And that's why it's hilarious. Did you see that in the state now is has upped it California? They've gone from 233000 for reparations. It's now up to 360000 Yeah. That's why all these places, I mean, it's hilarious watching the reparations debate going on in California, whether it's San Francisco, that was reparations, $5 million per eligible person, $97,000 a year in guaranteed income, and all your debts wiped out in San Francisco. <laughs> City Council's like, you can't do that. It'll bankrupt us. But it's the right thing to do. Tax the rich in order to get it. You could tax all the rich 20 times over. Their entire wealth. There's not enough money for that. Look, it doesn't matter. We agree. It's the right thing to do. Please do it. Oh, in California, yeah. We're saying don't do it. Please do it. Somebody, that's why, you know, federalism, states get to experiment. Uh We think California should experiment with $5 million in reparations, $97,000 in annual pay, Uh and all debts forgiven to those eligible and eligibility should be to help bring people back to the state, as was suggested in California, that this should be a way to encourage people to come back into the state of California by having those reparations available, not just to California citizens, but to everyone. If yep. And the thought process was, we're losing money by them leaving, let's bring them back by giving them hundreds of thousands and or millions of dollars in reparations. Yep. Our point would be, well, then I'd come back, grab the money and leave. Uh-huh. Oh, no, no, sorry. We have a wealth tax for you. Yeah. I love it, the Hotel California tax. Mm-hmm. That is a great label. Well, that's it. And and the, they know that the only way they could they could ever do that, well, first of all, they can't do it. But if they were going to do it, the only way that they could do it is, is through an annual payment. You can't hand people all that money because you know they're going to be gone. So it has to be a payment over a certain amount of years. And if you ever leave the state, you're not eligible for your payment any longer. Right. And the way they can afford it, California will award... Five million in reparations to everyone, one dollar a year for five million years. That's right. <laughs> and in order to pay for it ahead of time, a ten dollar per gallon tax. <laughs> they've they've completely lost their minds. I mean, they've completely lost their minds. I mean, it's just... Well, and, you know, I mean, the thing is, is they keep introducing these things over and over again as if they really believe that there is no end to the money. And you're right, the you know, the states that that took all that COVID money, 
you know, I firmly believe that they thought they were going to get federal money at that level for a long, long time. The money yeah. is going to run out. And when you have that level of spending, it's going to run out a lot sooner. California is now considering reparations of up to three. Now, there's different reparations. There's the state of California. Mm-hmm. There's San Francisco, San Francisco which, is, yes. which is separate. Right. Now, do you get the $5 million plus the 360000 if you're in San Francisco. Mm. Now, in Kern County, it's also a different reparations. If you're a liberal in Kern County, you have to pay the state. <laughs> <laughs> but now they're considering reparations of up to 360000 per eligible recipient, more than 50% more than the amount floated as the highest possibility just last year. Mm. Now the amount has ballooned to 360 per recipient, well, yeah, inflation <laughs> from two hundred thirty-three thousand to three hundred sixty thousand per recipient, and with that money, you'd be able to buy a one-bedroom closet. Yeah, mm-hmm. according to Bloomberg News, perhaps under pressure from local efforts in cities like San Francisco, which is considering five million dollars. For eligible recipient. Yeah. It's not sure where the it's not clear where the money will come from. <laughs> it's not clear. As the state has a budget deficit of roughly twenty five billion this year, and many cities are short on money. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not clear. Oh man, I'm telling you. <laughs> they they lawmakers were imprecise. oh my gosh you know just make it up you know we honestly could be responsible for all this us we said years ago if you're gonna lie go big yeah yeah we have if you're gonna promise promise the world yeah our bad and and they (laughs) well no no because they you're right it worked because they still believe because we told them that that they've been successful in doing that. No, they they do. Yeah. You know, they think and, and look, they're, and they're still winning elections. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, right. for the moment, it's working. Sometimes <laughs> we give bad advice. We do. Eight six six ninety red eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. In Trinidad Radio, he is Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. Well, I haven't seen it, but I heard uh, Chris Rock's performance and his uh, stand-up uh, special. Is that Netflix? Yeah. yeah. Apparently uh, caused some outrage. Uh, yeah, there was, uh, <laughs> there was some uh, some jokes about Will Smith, I think, that he's getting uh, some backlash. Wokeness for. stuff, too. Yeah. And, uh, I, that was, you know, that's probably going to be that, you know, the, the design, I think comedians are going to push it more and more, you know, they're going to just do their specials and, and, uh, you know, expect that people are going to be pushing back on it.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord! We get it! They have chemistry! Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.